for Thursday, September 17th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the former head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says he's worried by recent efforts by Trump administration political appointees to influence public health guidance. I just wish we could all focus on the fact that there's only one enemy here. It's a virus. And the more we divide, the more the virus can continue to conquer us. Dr. Tom Frieden, who currently leads the public health group Resolve to Save Lives, joins me to discuss what's been happening as of late at the agency he used to run and what it could mean for our way out of the pandemic. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. For months now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has been somewhat under attack. President Trump and other members of his administration have openly questioned guidance coming from the agency. Something Dr. Tom Frieden says is an alarming trend. He ran the CDC for most of the Obama administration and currently heads the public health group Resolve to Save Lives. And he joins me now for more. Dr. Frieden, thanks for talking with me. Nice to speak with you. So I want to start just by asking you about a few things that have actually happened this week regarding the CDC, this agency you used to head. Yesterday, President Trump publicly questioned uh, statements made by current CDC head Dr. Robert Redfield about the timeline on a vaccine and about the value of masks when it comes to slowing the spread of this pandemic. Just talk to me about this kind of situation. Dr. Redfield making these statements and then within hours, the president coming around behind him and really questioning them. One of the things that has been so striking about our federal response has been the lack of coherence. The way federal policy should work is there is an agreed approach. Everyone gets on the same page and everyone reflects the same message. And that's been strikingly absent from this federal government response. And the result of that is that we haven't had consistent science-based messaging. And recent events just show that. Um, It's particularly concerning when you have uh, White House or HHS putting things on the CDC website that aren't CDC products, that aren't uh, the work of CDC scientists. I really see that as equivalent to Uh, vandalism. Essentially, it's like writing graffiti on a national historic monument. And the problem with that is that there's so much great work being done at CDC, 
so much hard work by thousands and thousands of dedicated people and 99.9% of the stuff on the website is the cutting edge science of what we know and what people need to know. But when there is that kind of political interference, it undermines public trust. What are these parts of the CDC's website or their publicly facing kind of information that you feel political appointees have had too much of a hand in creating? Most recently, uh, in one part of the CDC website, the statement that not all contacts need to be tested if they don't have symptoms was clearly not written by CDC. It's inconsistent with other parts of the CDC website. The, the bottom line here is that there are still many thousands of public health professionals at CDC working day and night to keep people safe. And they're driven by science, not politics. And there has been really an unfortunate sidelining and undermining of public health in general and CDC specifically. And the result of that, sadly, has been avoidable deaths and avoidable lost jobs. Thinking about that change to the testing guidance in particular, I've been on calls with CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield, with Admiral Brett Giroir from HHS, and they have defended that particular recommendation. You're under the impression, though, that it's not maybe career CDC officials who are behind those changes? Well, it's one thing to say that testing should be more strategic. Dr. Joir has advocated for that, and I agree with that. It's not a question of just test anyone randomly. What's going to be most effective is to have targeted testing and make sure that testing is part of a comprehensive program. The specific area of concern is the sentence that says that only contacts who have symptoms need be tested because they might get very ill. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of why we test contacts. We test contacts to find people who have infection who may not have symptoms and may have spread it to others or at risk of spreading it to others. And that kind of testing is very important. We have seen reports in the last week, first from Politico, and you alluded to this a moment ago, of Trump administration political appointees at the Department of Health and Human Services trying to impact these morbidity and mortality weekly reports that the CDC puts out regularly. These really are the, the bleeding edge of our public health knowledge here in the country. Is all this different parts of, of the same issue, politics getting in the way of public health? This is unprecedented, and it crosses a red line. Uh, during my nearly eight years running CDC, we never had the content of an MMWR, one of those weekly bulletin reports, reviewed or any request to change it from anyone outside of the technical expertise. This is not appropriate. And it's important to recognize that actually CDC staff have continued to do the good work. In fact, just last week, you had an important MMWR come out that said that children can spread COVID, that can spread it to their parents, their parents can end up in the hospital, and contacts of people with COVID should be tested. So you continue to have good work being done. But I just wish we could all focus on the fact that there's only one enemy here. It's a virus. And the more we divide, the more the virus can continue to conquer us. We've had now 200,000 deaths in this country, and tens of thousands of those deaths didn't have to happen if we had followed the science. You are making these comments about the agency as one who, you know, an individual who knows what it's like to run it. Talk to me about 
the kinds of pressures that an agency head, especially if we think about an agency that deals with science, that deals with, you know, knowledge, what kinds of pressures are individuals like Dr. Robert Redfield and maybe even other higher ups at CDC, if we want to think about Dr. Ann Shookit, uh, Dr. Nancy Messonnier, two names people might know, what kind of pressures are they under when the science and the information that they are finding isn't always politically convenient? On the one hand, it's completely reasonable for any administration to say that it's up to the people in Washington to set policy. Policy is a decision that takes into account health, economics, education, other aspects. So the policy decisions are really for the policymakers. But the science is for the scientists. And to have the science questioned or stifled or silenced is a big problem. We would have been so much better off in this country if we had continued to hear from CDC multiple times a week so we could learn what they're learning as they learn it. There's a lot that we're finding out about COVID every single day. And the more we understand it, the more we can protect people and preserve jobs. There was a time early in the pandemic when we were hearing from CDC regularly. I was on all the press calls that the agency did until maybe late February, early March, then those kinds of dried up. The agency has started doing those those calls again, but is is that the kind of regular contact that you're talking about? Because I think this the information gets out from the agency in a few different ways, right? You have occasions like Dr. Redfield testifying in front of Congress yesterday. He's done that multiple times. But then you also have dissemination of information to the press, to reporters all over the country. So talk to me about how you think the agency should have handled this kind of general communication strategy over the, the course of the pandemic. I would have expected that what happened during H1N1, during Zika, during Ebola, with the CDC and subject matter experts from the CDC briefing the public multiple times a week, telling people what we've learned, when we've learned it, what we're trying to find out and how we're trying to find it out, that would have helped us recognize that we're all in it together. It would have helped us learn things like why we know now that masks are very important, what we're learning about how and where COVID is spreading, how we can do a better job protecting families of people who have the infection, what's happening in terms of stopping outbreaks in nursing homes and homeless shelters and correctional facilities. That's information that some of it is coming out in publications like the MMWR, but unless there are regular briefings, it really doesn't get into the, the psyche of people. People don't understand what's happening because you don't have the ability to answer reporters' questions, to clarify things, to hear what concerns are. Communication is a really important part of the response to a health emergency. And CDC is the standard bearer for this. The principles are very straightforward. Be first, be right, be credible, be empathetic, and give people practical proven things to do to protect themselves their families, and their communities. Just to pick on something you said there, to be right, I mean, I think that that is a challenge to the public health officials all over the, the country, if we want to think about federal and then state and local, that they've dealt with this entire time. It's not easy always to be right the first time when we're dealing with a novel virus. So talk to me about the challenges that that presents. I mean, we're still learning a lot about what the coronavirus does to people. And it's not unreasonable to think that a public health official might say one thing one day, and then six months later, our knowledge has changed and they might make another recommendation. So, so how should they be navigating that? There are really three types of problem here. 
One, there are some mistakes. So CDC made a mistake with the initial laboratory test. That mistake was fixed by late February, but that mistake was costly in terms of the impact. Two are things that aren't mistakes, but things that we're learning. Early on, there was really no reason to think that masks would be as important as they are. But as we learned how COVID spreads, that many people don't have symptoms, that the amount of virus you have is highest before you feel ill, it became very clear, and the evidence has only grown since, that if everyone wears a mask, everyone is safer. It protects other people, and it almost certainly protects yourself as well to wear a mask. So the second thing are things that we're learning. They may be seen as mistakes, but actually it's a reflection of progress if we learn how to better protect ourselves. And then the third and most concerning is where you have political interference with the science, where you have people who are not experts in public health, who have not controlled infectious disease epidemics, saying that they're going to take another way of doing this and sometimes saying one thing and doing another. You have, for example, one of the president's advisors saying he's not advocating for herd immunity. At the same time, he says in other interviews that when low-risk people get infected, that's a positive thing. That is actually advocating for herd immunity. And what we know is that if we get to herd immunity by people getting infected, that would result in hundreds of thousands of additional deaths of Americans, and most of those deaths don't have to happen. There's also a misconception that there's some sort of a conflict between health and economics. The data is pretty clear. The better we control the pandemic, the more we can get our jobs and more of our lives back. The one thing that's kind of struck me throughout this, and we've seen this here in Georgia from our state leaders, it's happened in other states, I think it even happens at the federal level, a lack of, of willingness to acknowledge how challenging this situation really is. I'm thinking about our governor here in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp, in you know recent months has really taken aim at local media for not focusing on all the positive statistics that we've seen here in Georgia as of late, but on some of the negative ones. What do you make of that? The idea that for, I think, political leaders of all stripes, their, their unwillingness to acknowledge that this is a big challenge, which I think we understand why a politician would, would not want to paint the gloomiest picture of the situation. On the one hand, this really is a complicated pandemic. For kids, it's usually mild illness or not severe at all. It is similar to a mild to moderate flu in kids. But in older people and people with underlying health conditions, which may be 30 or 40 percent of all Americans, it can be deadly. And so you have this kind of complicated situation where there are false dichotomies. Some people saying it's a catastrophe, other people saying it's no big deal. And the fact is, it's a serious pandemic, and the number of deaths is heartbreaking. And there's an old saying in public health that the death rate is a fact. Everything else is an inference. And if you look at the number of excess or extra deaths in Georgia and elsewhere in the U.S., it's really horrific. You're looking at well over 200,000 people who have died because of this pandemic. And what we have to do is focus on chipping away at the pandemic. There's no one thing that's going to make it go away. And ignoring it is certainly not going to make it go away. But wearing masks, reducing risky indoor exposures like bars and choirs, finding cases rapidly with testing, getting people isolated, and if and when we have a safe and effective vaccine, 
getting that vaccine rolled out in a quick but safe way. All of those things will get us to a new normal, but there's no one thing that's going to make this go away. This is not going to be a fairy tale ending to the pandemic. We're going to have to continue to work hard together while we stay apart physically. So you talked about that collective action. I mean, I think that that is fundamentally not something that we as a country are great at. It's been, you know, six to seven months that people have been living with the reality of the pandemic. So when does this click that it takes all of us doing very small things to nip this in the bud? I'm thinking not only people who are like, you know, skeptical of mask wearing because they think wearing masks is actually going to make them sick, which there's not much evidence for. But then also the people who are just casually tired of this, tired of staying inside, tired of taking all these actions. How do we get everyone to work together? I think we're all sick and tired of this virus and the pandemic. But unfortunately, the virus that's causing this pandemic is not tired of making us sick. It's still out there. And there's lots and lots of people who are infectious. And this remains deadly, particularly for older people and people with diabetes and lung and heart disease. I'm hopeful that ultimately this virus will help us recognize the fundamental truth that we are all connected. We're connected by the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the trains, planes, buses, and ships we travel on. And the more we recognize we're all connected, that our fates are bound up with each other's fates, the more we can support each other and be more independent so that we can do what we want to do. I'm thinking ahead to the future. I mean, certainly we have a vaccine in the works. There's a question about when that will be widely available to people and how effective that will be. Uh, So we're in this, I think, for the long haul still at this point. What do you think are kind of the, the biggest challenges if we think about the U.S. and our response at large? And then thinking specifically about the CDC and whether or not the agency is going to be able to make it through this pandemic with their, uh, you know, integrity and, and, you know, social trust intact. Well, first we have to see what happens with a vaccine. For a vaccine to work, it's got to be proven to be safe, effective, it has to be accessible, and it has to be trusted. The CDC has made good plans for how to roll out a vaccination campaign, and that means getting public sector, private sector, uh, communicating openly about the vaccine, This is a really big job. It's not just a matter of shipping out some shots. It's a matter of engaging communities, training healthcare workers, planning to track for adverse reactions, tracking the rates of uptake and acceptance of the vaccine, looking at how effective it is in real world, and looking at different vaccines and different vaccine dosing schedules. This is going to be a very complex undertaking if and when there's a vaccine in the coming months or year. And it's not going to take the pandemic off the table. It's going to be a very important tool, but we're still going to have to do things like be careful about infecting others. And the more CDC sticks to the science and delivers a safer, healthier country, the more I think it can regain some of the trust that it had for 75 years. So you don't think it's lost, that trust? I think the CDC has certainly had as difficult a time as it has ever had in these past few months. But it's still the same great public health institution 
with the same great people working there. And so the future can be encouraging, strong, effective, and fundamentally, it's about helping people live healthier, safer lives, and that's what CDC can do. Dr. Tom Frieden is a former head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. Special thanks to Stephen Key. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.